Check, check. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Homo Latte. Thank you very much. My name is Scott Free, and this is a twice a month queer performance series. And uh, tonight we have performing Joe Parker. Let's hear it for Joe. And we also have performing Micah the Star. Let's hear it for Micah the Star. And if you've never been here, there's a couple of rules that are pretty basic. Uh, but the rules are, we're gonna pass around the Ikea tip jar. Proceeds are split between the artists. I take zero and Big Chicks take zero. So we do like it when you eat and drink up. Uh, to do that, if you want food, you go next door uh, to the salon and order food. And, uh, uh, oh my gosh, um, I'm forgetting his name. What's wrong with Justin? We'll bring it over, I'm so sorry. Uh, and then if you want drinks, you just go to the bar and get drinks. And uh, so, let's see. I am going to start with one song. And this is kind of like, I haven't played it in a little while, but this is kind of like the Homolati theme song, because I kind of play this one all the time. So, here we go. I love a man with a lead face, with a chalk heart. Eyes of plastered veins Pumping ether A tongue of sulfur A groin of thorns Any warmth, any comfort Any tiny specks of joy
start out with some stuff from my book, and then I'm gonna like ask you guys to do a little bit of like audience participation stuff to interact with some new stuff that I'm working on right now. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, if anyone wants a book, I've got them on the table, so you can talk to me after. Yes. Um, thanks for being here, and I'm just gonna dive in. I'm looking at a window of the house and remembering a movie where the estranged walks by a house and looks in at and walks away or walks inside. The scene in the window moves in slow motion and all the words of the conversations are muted too. A hand clenches behind a back. A thumbnail whitens against the inside of a pointer finger. I'm holding a candle in my fist and the wick hasn't ever been lit. Balls of yarn are picked up and put down. Some of the balls of yarn stay and some begin to roll off the table, gather momentum. In one version, I walk away from the house and in another version, I walk into the house and this, for now, is neither. I remember I'm remembering when I was remembering last time. At first, the memory is the whole scene. The shelves, what was on the shelves, what was said, the facial expressions, what I felt, what I said, mom like a pelican. Each of these remembered bits of, have associations that make me remember. I remember through all these parts of, that remind me of the memory and feel the memory. And as I do this again and again, Frogs and newts tantrum next to me. I'm, look <laughs> um, I'm looking through my bedroom window, and inside is empty except Dad on a small stool whittling a cube of wood into a block in a cage. Shavings twist off the wood and fall from the block onto the fabric of his jeans and his hands before twisting down onto the floor. He rubs the knife against the wood away from his chest. He does not see me and I want him to. My breath is fogging up the glass. He yells to a past me in a room out of view. When you were small, I would hold your head in my palm, your whole body fit easy down my forearm. He carves at the wood until the ball in the center is freestanding in the cage. I go through the window and sit with him in the memory. I touch his arm, but he can't feel it. I sit with him and he can't see me and I want him to. I leave the room. I remember him with his back to me, fishing in a river, that he turned around, that we drove down a dirt road to a burnt house with weeds growing through jagged charcoal walls. He walked out onto the fragile floor. I'm looking through the window from the sidewalk, and inside, mom is looking at pictures of past myself. I'm sitting on concrete and picking at a scab on my knee. I'm hooking my thumbnail beneath the scab, wincing a little and moving along the edge of the scab. Mom's hair waves a bit past her shoulders in gray, red, and the rest of her body is below. The scab is circled in peeling white tissue skin. I prod at the scab just inside the tissue to feel the dried blood that can be pulled up. In the pictures, past myself has a smile that stops directly under their eyes. Their hair is long, brown, parted a little to the left side, and tucked behind their ears, and hanging down their back. 
In the pictures, past myself is in a basketball jersey, a dress with little blue flowers, black heels with buckles by the ankle, in a schoolyard, in a church, with their hands folded and poised onto dad's shoulder, while his hands are on either side of mom's shoulders, and all three of us have smiles that stop under our eyes. Now, as I start to be able to pull the scab away from my skin, the flesh underneath feels like petting an eyeball. I see past myself inside the house, wandering through the rooms with mom. Outside, the scab starts to lift with my fingers. Inside, past myself has long hair that hangs down past their lip, their hips, and swishes back and forth as they walk. Past myself looks in the mirror and holds their hair in a fist at the middle of their back. They begin to cut it with scissors above their fist. Past myself and mom turn to face each other and smile. After the longest amount of time between now and the experience of something, it becomes just good or bad, but nothing is either. Mom eats the bundle of hair, so now outside, I eat my scab. This poem is setting the table, grabbing three forks at a time and their arms unwillingly mesh together. Open up the cabinet to a box of crackers coming at your head, lemon bleaching the china cups above the testicle ginger plant, unsliced, undyed. Crackers slide out on the floor, peanuts the two fused light bulbs crawling with bugs, water is boiling around cheese and starch, raviolis fall into the garbage disposal, prongs of forks throw up around them, splattered plums, jar hits the cutting board, then the floor dents a toenail, jam is mixed in the glass. Stale cornbread left in a soggy box, shaking the bottle until the tea bag bursts. There's a book baked into the cake that's rotting on the shelf. If the cake was unbaked, you could read the book. <laughs> Cover the recipe in red pen. Kitchen fades away. Wake up and your chest feels like the inside of a carved out pumpkin. Forgiveness is a cabinet kept empty. The refrigerator you pull open again, looking for an appetite. Take cheesecloth and drape it over the house. Bundle the edges over roof, squeeze, infuse rubble into a salve. I light a match, throw it, run. Bury me under the foundation of your next house as a good luck charm. Cover me in basil and rose petals and cinnamon. Make my head the base of your chimney. Make it a chimney that talks fog. When will I talk enough for a flood? Stuff logs in my mouth that I'll suck on the branches. The wood will expand like ice with my spit. Bricks aren't sensible in earthquake-prone areas. Chimneys are the only candles that don't melt away. The only candles with the fire at the base. When I'm scared, I picture running down a concrete road into trees. Parents behind me and around the bend, you are waiting in a field. I see smoke hands with their fingers bitten off. There's a safe fire here. There's a safe fire here. Safety does not equal containment. My body wants a vertical hallway. My body wants a trash can that can be lit on fire. I'm burning letters and I want a safe way to dispose of the ashes, get none of them rubbed into my skin. I feel as if I've sought a rope, as if all the smoke is in a big enough room. So the next bit is 
just like some new stuff that I've been working on super recently. Um, and we're gonna do some like Mad Lib villains with it. <laughs> um, mostly because it's nonfiction. I don't wanna talk shit on <laughs> people and use their names. Um, some of it's very, very kind talking too. But um, still. Um, so I need um, preferably not names of people in the room, um, just because I can feel weird. Um, so I need the name of like, like a shitty ex. <laughs> and you, can, you can make something up if you want. Yeah. Oh, you guys have to like. You guys have to pick. What was it? sitting at the edge of Lake Michigan trying to convince myself it's ocean. Mm -hmm. I associate the ocean with joy. Yeah. It's my body of water. It's the body of water I grew up with and I'm tied to. When I look out on the lake, it looks like ocean, but I know it ends too soon, and also it smells blank. <laughs> my manager feels attached to the lake, because when they were having their lowest life point, they'd go out to the lake at 3 a.m. and stare out and smoke. The lake was beautiful and sat with them. A lot of relationships are like this. We are beautiful and we sit with each other, and then at some point we don't. The word liminal means of or pertaining to a threshold. I think a liminal space has come to mean a kind of dream state where you are between shedding a section of life and picking what to fill the empty cabinet with. Crabs only get bigger between when they shed their shells and their shells grow back. This is also the only time they can have sex. Crabs do something called a pre-mating embrace, where one of them will wrap their claws around the other and hold them to convince them that they're strong enough. Sometimes this embrace can last several days. Once they're done, they guard each other while their shells reform and harden, 
before they separate to find other mates. How does our return to and fascination with or disregard of spaces where we felt things that shaped us in a sore way or a full way dictate how we are? I don't like my manager, like, as a person. I want a personality test that helps me know quickly if I should let myself be obsessed with you so I can love you forever. Red, I want to be able to make statements about myself. Red, if there is an unhappy ending, I don't want to start. Red, I don't believe in death. I have heaven at the end of this, except I decided I don't like God. <laughs> I don't like how my manager tries to take the perks of being a relaxed, cool authority figure and uses that to unload about how their self-destructive choices are being destructive to them and then turn around the next minute and scream in one of my coworkers' faces. Before we worked together, we went out dancing and I said I wasn't gonna stay out past three, but at 3.30, my bike was locked up back in their living room and I was standing by the bar with them, disappointingly sober, tired, and listening to them drunkenly say, I really hate myself. A lot of people I have loved or slept with hate themselves. A lot of them have either admired that I didn't to the point where they put me on a pedestal or were visibly upset when I was thriving. Before last fall, I didn't really feel happiness, or if I did, either I would feel it and then immediately feel guilty, or I would feel it and then immediately feel like I needed to tell whoever I was in love with what happened, give it to them, and take back whatever reaction to it that they had. Marie Andrew talks about this in her book using poker chips. Like, you have happiness, but you need a cashier to convert the poker chips into money. At the end of the fifth season of Friends, Monica and Chandler don't want to get married. <laughs> but they also don't want to reject each other, so they decide to wait for a clear sign that they should get married. They roll dice and get double fours, a pastor appears out of an elevator, Chandler carries Monica over the threshold of her apartment. Here, the show is normalizing that there's no place for rejection within love, which I think is something we all internalize and then come into a mindset where a no about some behavior is a rejection of some part of us as people. Talking is easy, but starting a conversation can be panic-inducing. There's a parking space in a lot at the end of the street I grew up on in California that's my lowest point spot. When I was 16, I broke up with a boy who I dated for a few years but been close to since preschool. At the same time, I figured out I was some sort of gay and dated a girl for the first time. After that, I panicked and dated a boy, John, who I would sneak out with that summer. He would drive over to my street and park in that spot in the parking lot. This isn't anything about him being a bad boyfriend, although he was. This was a lowest point spot because I was using sneaking out with John to avoid dealing with being gay, to avoid my guilt about being gay, and to avoid processing losing a close friend. There were months of me staying out all night, driving in a passenger seat, just not wanting to sit with my feelings, and also wanting to be too tired to do it the next day. When I visited California a couple months ago, I walked diagonally across that parking lot and saw the space he used to park in. It's been repainted into a crosshatch walkway. I've yelled at a partner twice. Both involved cars and being out of control. 
John was dropping me off at Nikki's house, and him and his friends started racing their cars, and I told him to stop, and he said, we're good, pushing the gas pedal down and revving ahead of Samir. Then, right in front of Nikki's dad, he spun out the car and put, to put a flourishing touch on win winning the race. The second time was with Sam, and we were both visiting California, and as we were crossing a street, a car was barreling towards the two of us and five other people. The person in the driver's seat looked angry and entitled enough to think that you don't have to stop at a stop sign, especially when there are people at it. He slowed down a little but made hand motions that made it clear we all better move, which I started doing, but Sam and I were holding hands and they stopped, squeezed my hands harder, and held me in the street in front of the car while they held their hand in front of them, giving the driver the middle finger. One of the conversations I keep replaying is Joseph came home from a trans discussion group and two people in the group talked about when they stopped being scared of what people thought of them. They said, I was dancing at a bus stop and people walked up and I just kept dancing. <laughs> I imagine both people telling the story in the same words, but slightly behind the other. So it sounds like it's on a loop pedal or really thick reverb. I was standing at a bus stop and people walked up and I just kept dancing. I can picture Jenny and Jan, who are friends of mine, just dancing on the sidewalk. And because we are family and that we are trans, it makes me feel soaring. Like I feel when I'm knocked off my feet, standing in ocean water with kelp knotted around my ankles. I've been apprehensive about writing down my joy moments because I don't want to distance myself from them but I think this impulse is irresponsible. Another thing I replay is Joseph walking into my apartment and Spencer saying, you're so gay, and me play batting at him, what? And him saying, you smile so much around them, and then his voice shifts out of teasing, and he says, it makes me so happy to see. And then I'm in my home with two people who love me, and they're standing there witnessing my joy and smiling. Let's hear it one more time for Joe Parker. Okay, we're going to take a short break and move things around a little up here. So, a short break, and Micah will be up. with your full identity because um, 
I have become very skilled in. Hi, I'm a performer, and this is my and I and my name is Micah. How can I give a suggestion of any word at all? Um, so <laughs> I'm a professional actor <laughs> and um, an improviser, um, and I have that professional like I, I'm. Hi, it's so nice to meet you. Yes, let's, let's do this thing. Um, but that is not who I am, and um, and I've recently been coming to terms with that and uh, and embracing that. So, uh, anyway, um, I'm actually very socially awkward. Um, mostly because I don't understand social conventions, even though I pretend to. But anyway, uh, according to social convention, uh, that I've noticed since playing out since I was 15 <laughs> is that people tend to like it if you open with a cover <laughs> that they've probably heard before. It warms up the audience. <laughs> so, now, so now I'm going to open my set with a cover <laughs> in order to warm <laughs> you guys to my heart. <laughs> uh, this song is called <laughs> The Story by Brandy Carlisle. <laughs> I liked this song before I admitted I was queer. I shouldn't know. Under these lines across my face Tell you the story of who I am So many stories of where I've been Across the mountain side, 
She misses the heart she And I 
sad story of a couple of closeted queens. Me and you, 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 you. Sexual relationships work. <laughs> Tried so hard. So, so hard. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny, I was always way too mad. Like, I actually at this point identify as non gendered at all. Um, I don't, I, philosophically, I don't like the concept of gender. But even back then, like, I was too masculine for the men that I was with. It was, um, yeah. I couldn't figure out why I would always fight with my boyfriends and husbands. <laughs> Husband, fiance. Now, at least I wasn't married twice. At least I didn't do it twice. Did it once. Anyway, uh, this is a fun song called Woman because uh, I wrote it right after I moved to Chicago. And I was like, I met this girl and she was amazing. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I broke up with my partner, so now I can actually like come out.
to not have to pretend like I have my shit together right now. <laughs> Thank you. <sighs> this last song is called Queen. I wrote it while I was homeless last year. Um, I became homeless last year. It was almost a year ago. Oh, um, and one of the things that kind of ties in with like tonight, I told one of my caseworkers, I was like, yeah, like I really hate performing. And she's like, what? You're like a performer. <laughs> like you do this for a living. What's wrong with you? Like, no, you don't understand. I hate being in front of people. Like I hate being judged. It's so terrible. <laughs> And I said my need to my need to express myself outweighs my need to like hide. <laughs> but sometimes it's a real struggle. Um, anyway, this was a song that I wrote to um, seize power for myself. You know, Trump got elected. Fuck him. And um, and just everybody has just been under so much stress. And I and like I said, I was raised conservative. I was raised evangelical. And um, so much of evangelical Christianity right now is about uh, being aligned with the Republican Party. And um, it's, it's a really horrible um, way that people have taken advantage of um, less educated people's faiths and uh, said that, hey, you know, like, well, we can control you and because we're gonna call it God. And so this song is about the fact that there is no God and that we all are in control of our own destinies and that we're the only ones that can fight fascism. We're the only ones who can create our own realities. We're the only ones who experience our own realities. So yeah, that's what this song's about. It's called Queen. Queen. 
shows coming up. Um, I'm terrible at self-promotion, so if any of you are really good at marketing and want to team up, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Let's hear it one more time for Micah the Star. Let's hear it one more time for Doe Parker. And if you didn't contribute to the Ikea tip jar, please do so. And I know it's gorgeous, I know. And uh, let's see, uh, the next show is two weeks. I don't know the date. But anyways, uh, it's going to have Jacob Grossman. I think it's two premiere performances, just like tonight was. So Jacob Grossman is doing spoken word and music by Nine Blackman. So that will be uh, the next show. So just look it up on homologates.com with Facebook and all that. And uh, so thanks a lot for stopping in tonight. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>